selected me to episode 42 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with myself and Matt Kelly, where we take a deep dive into a compliance-related topic. Today, we get around to Uber. Yes, we focus on the car crash or indeed train wreck that is currently going on with Uber. Matt wrote about uh, the corporate government's governance issues at Uber over the weekend before the release of the Holder Report. So we take a look at his thoughts on where corporate governance failed and some of the lessons learned for the compliance practitioner. We also take a look at the Holder Report and talk about some of its recommendations, which frankly are quite astounding. Nevertheless, in addition to be astounding, they really point towards the need for corporate compliance uh, at the board level and compliance expertise, and it explains why. We take a deep dive into this. It'll probably be the first of many such podcasts we have on Uber. It's a fascinating subject. I hope you enjoyed it, listening to it as much as I enjoyed uh, doing it with Matt. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with my cohort and co-host, Matt Kelly, founder and editor at Radical Compliance. Matt, we are going to go into the weeds on one of our favorite subjects, which is governance at Uber and your car crash analogy. So take it away. Yeah, this really is just a sad example of misgovernance, probably in a couple of different ways, and we could be here for hours if we wanted. Um, I wrote this post of mine on radical compliance. I wrote it on Sunday evening when the board of Uber was meeting to discuss whether to put CEO Travis Kalanick, or Kalanick, I think, uh, Travis Kalanick on leave, and they were awaiting a final report on the culture and problems at Uber from former Attorney General Eric Holder, who had spent several months and probably quite a lot of billable hours uh, investigating the culture at Uber. So I wrote a column on Sunday evening about this. And so at the time you and I are talking here, Tom, on Tuesday, June 13, uh, the board now has met and put Kalanick on leave, um, I think partly because he experienced a personal tragedy with the death of his mother in an accident and the serious injury of his father. But beyond that immediate uh, personal setback that he's had, Uber has had many problems, which also we now know because the Holder Report has come out, uh, which really just we could take this in many different levels. But I looked at it first as evidence that even very large companies that have not yet gone public and people keep on saying we should get the startups and the tech whiz companies to go public. They don't necessarily are they perhaps they should not go public because Uber clearly had some pain and growth issues it needed to go through and it is going through them now. I think that there is an examples here we could talk about about weak boards that were clearly stacked in Travis Kalanick's favor for far too long. Um, and then we just still have to talk about what I identified in my uh, my blog post is just we have to talk about the dorky stuff of ethics and compliance, of values and what are we about and all this touchy-feely stuff that senior executives sometimes don't really want to talk about or it's not as fun or sexy as merger targets or financial goals or expansion plans. But this you know touchy-feely stuff, this matters tremendously because Uber ignored it. 
and it is now just like I said, this is a car crash or a train wreck if we want to mix our metaphors. Um, but there's so much that's gone wrong here at this company, and it has nothing to do with financial reporting or effective internal controls or the lack thereof, and we'll talk about that maybe some other day. This is all about culture and values and governance, and it's a complete meltdown. Well, I think we should mix our metaphors and definitely let our freak flag fly on this puppy because the um, many of the points you raised were exactly raised by uh, former Att Attorney General Holder in his report. Uh, he started with uh, the uh, senior leadership, which, of course, is, I have to say Kalanick because I grew up with a guy uh, who pronounced it like that. So uh, I'll yep. just say Kalanick, um, a good Texas name, Bo Kalanick. Uh, in fact, but he moves, uh, the report moves from the senior leadership and, uh, it has some very serious words about the board. And I was extraordinarily pleased that it said the board should create an ethics and compliance, excuse me, ethics and culture committee or a similar body recognizing that ethics and consult, uh, culture, uh, really need to be at the forefront, starting at the board level. So we need to have a strong board. We need to have strong boards with oversight. We need to have them holding senior um, leaders and executives accountable. We need that accountability both in the form of compensation and in metrics that they can have accountability around. There was a long section uh, both to near and dear to our hearts on internal controls and a specific section on reform reformulating the company's values. So getting into mm -hmm. the dorky stuff was recognized as well. Uh, it basically said you've got to throw out the uh, five principles that uh, Uber had uh, utilized uh, going getting to this point, which had simply been used to justify poor behavior. The um, some of the things that uh, they put in there were, uh, frankly, very unusual for a multi-billion-dollar corporation. So, for instance, clear guidelines on alcohol and use of controlled substances during working hours. I, I didn't know that had to be a thing. I didn't know a company still did that. I thought, you know, that the 80s were over. I, I guess maybe they were back at Uber. Yes, yeah, Studio 54 lives. Uh, yeah. Prohibiting romantic or intimate relationships between individuals in a reporting relationship. Um, hmm. Wonder what that one means. Um, you know, hold, I, we should we would be remiss if we also, Tom, did not point out that in 2013, Travis Kalanick circulated an email to staff uh, in advance of a party that they were going to have offering guidelines on how employees should or should not have sex with each other. Uh, now, I didn't know that you needed that sort of thing anymore. It hit all the right notes. Yes, you should be in a consensual sort of engagement and you should not be doing this with your supervisor or your subordinate. Um, but uh, that was the first time I've seen something like that. The first time ever I said, thank God, I am just a, a married man with a mortgage and a kid and I'm too old for this nonsense because I just couldn't believe a CEO would send out something like he did. And uh, Eric Holder, I'm, I'm glad that Holder is stepping into the breach to say maybe we should tone it down. And they even went so granular as to uh, say that when there are dinners catered for employees – uh, that they not include alcohol or that there be some self-limiting amount of alcohol consumed. So mm -hmm. um, very, very pleased to see that level of detail, even one might say into the weeds. Yes. But here's really the, you raised a couple of points that uh, in, in your blog post 
in our conversations that I really want to see if we can can kind of uh, unpack. Number one, you started off with um, the culture in Silicon Valley, the culture of startups, and how that relates to what you call, or I think what we would call, the nitty-gritty of corporate governance. The having a board, having an independent board, having a board that has actual oversight, and having a board that actually does something. So that's sort of part one. But two, um, I certainly believe that Uber is a very positive, uh, disrupting uh, company. And I think that the service that they have developed, I certainly use it. I appreciate it. I think it's one of the uh, most interesting and best developed developments in transportation services since uh, I've been an adult. But do you have to have this sort of culture to disrupt a established industry such as a taxi industry so much? I mean, would we have an Uber today um, if they had engaged in some type of corporate behavior that we that Eric Holder didn't have to criticize? You know, that, that's a very fair. It's a good point to raise. It's an excellent point to raise. And it's a fair question. But, um, you know, I, I think it speaks to the leadership shortcomings, frankly, of Travis Kalanick that perhaps some of the more swashbuckling qualities that led Uber to be what it is today. You know, if he had not had that, would Uber be here today? I don't know. But the fact is, if Travis Kalanick continued to exercise that sort of influence, we will not have an Uber tomorrow. Um, you know, it really is running into tremendous PR black eyes at every turn. Senior executives have been leaving left and right, and they have been saying it is because of the culture. Um, I would really say that uh, this speaks to a like the, the adolescence of a technology companies, and many technology companies do this, where they have to go from being a small organization full of a board. Uh, backed by venture capitalists who are sitting on the board to a professional board, a big board. And people forget that Uber is a big company. It has thousands of employees all over the world. It is making billions of dollars in revenue. It needs a serious board with serious heavyweight corporate titans from elsewhere in the, the business world who can bring things to bear and who can check the ego of such a swashbuckling figure as uh, as Travis Kalanick is. I would say that you know this is a common problem in a lot of tech companies. They wind up with this swashbuckling, larger-than-life figure who becomes such a gigantic tone at the top that he drowns out all other possible judgments or wisdom or good advice because people just fixated on him. Uh, and it's almost always a him. I have not actually seen some swashbuckling jackass of a CEO who's a woman. Um, it really, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. This is this testosterone-driven bro culture that gets way out of hand. And you know, more than anything else, they, you need to know when it is time to bring in a board to cool off that sort of a thing. Um, you can still be a very swashbuckling, larger-than-life figure. Steve Jobs was one. Um, Worth remembering that back in the day when he was much younger, he got fired for being out of control. And when he matured and came back, then Jobs made Apple what it is today. I, you know, I don't know that Kalanick is in that same paragon as Steve Jobs, but um, you know, it, the evolution is a very difficult, finely tuned process, and it, it went wobbly here. 
So when I take an Uber, I always talk to the driver, and uh, one thing I notice is that they are always conversational. Uh, they're always happy to talk to you about their experiences, and mm -hmm. I have almost uniformly found that the driver as independent contractor, or if you, even if you wanted to call an employee, their expense, experience is positive. And um, it may be because they're independent contractors, and if their experience is not positive, then they uh, can leave. Uh, my experience as a customer, consumer of their service is almost uniformly positive. Out of probably 75 Uber rides, I've had one that wasn't positive simply because uh, the lady's GPS wouldn't match up to where I wanted to go. And finally, mm -hmm. the company's making money hand over fist. So yep. uh, the, the company's making money. And I always thought when you align those three things, uh, you know, what's, what, what could go wrong? You have a great customer experience, you have a positive employee experience, and you have a company making money. Yet we find all of these um, uh, hiccups uh, back at uh, the corporate headquarters. And I guess the question I now want to pose is, if uh, I understand that uh, Kalanick and uh, two other employees had a supermajority of voting shares and could basically block anything uh, if they didn't agree to it. If he had not agreed to this, what would be the recourse of the investors, if any? I suppose they could sell their stake somehow, but I have read elsewhere, and it's difficult to know because Uber is not a public company, and so a lot of this is cloak and dagger, um, that I have heard that when employees sell back their shares to Uber, uh, they have to relinquish voting rights of all of their shares. So even if they own 100 and sell back 50, they give away the voting rights for all 100 that they own. And this whole system seems to have been configured so Kalanick could keep control over his company and shape it and drive it the way he wants. And at some point that becomes unhealthy. Uh, I would also note Snap. Um, they have the, the the Snapchat company that went public a couple of months ago. They have a even worse sort of a voting structure where shareholders don't actually get to vote at all. Right. Um, only the inner circle gets any voting rights, and they get all of them. Um, so it does become this very difficult thing. Now, some decisions at Uber could be forced by the board that if each board member gets a vote and there are, say, 11 vote board members, you know, then Kalanick is only one out of 11. And would he have, what, six cronies there to be able to force through a majority? But not every decision at Uber would fall under that sort of category where a vote, each director gets a vote and could force their way. And even then, you know, ultimately, if Kalanick's the shareholder, the next shareholder meeting, which he can call whenever he wants because it's a private company, he could vote them off the board. Um, the governing structure here was a mess. It's not uncommon at uh, tech startups. And a lot of venture capitalists aren't particularly interested in this because most times the company doesn't become a gigantic behemoth and then is wondering when it's going to be an IPO and then, oh, crap, now we have misconduct. And maybe we won't get the valuation we thought. This is a rare phenomena. Most VC firms don't ever get to this problem at all because they've already gone out of business. I, I don't know enough about private company governments and governance and VC investments to say how difficult this is or how VCs get away from it, but you can't have this sort of a structure and then become a public company. It's apparent that you can't even act like a public company
before an IPO and because you just you've got these all of these problems and it's it was just an unchecked tone at the top um that's that was the problem here that leads into the last point i wanted to bring up which was the your point on corporate governance matters long before the ipo and um you really bring up an excellent point which is the planning and preparation that's needed for the ipo and certainly it's um SOX 404B, it's uh, audited financial statements, but it's also the guts, the what you call the dorky stuff, and it's the, the tone. You've got to have all of that in place because if you go public, you're automatically subject to those SEC sanctions, and I, I can't believe the SEC would uh, really put up with this for very long. You know, that would be an excellent question. Um, I, and I think it's one that is not going to go away because clearly the new SEC chairman, Jay Clayton, he is all about smoothing the process so that IPOs can happen earlier in a young company's life so that when they go through the big, huge ramp up, instead of all of the VCs getting a, another monster valuation round, the shareholders in the publicly traded company get all of that upside. I, I see the logic there. But if Uber had gone public in 2013, and all of this was happening now with a publicly traded Uber, the stock would be getting annihilated. Kalanick would have been fired weeks ago. Um, I have no idea how much of a mess this company would be in, and I suspect that shareholder activists would already be in the board's face demanding that they sell to Ford or Avis Holdings or somebody like that. Um, I So I think that we need to Step back and remember that it's easy to say, let's give companies an easier path to EP, to IPOs. But in my younger days, I covered a lot of tech companies, and a lot of tech companies are not ready to go public. Biotechs, for example, they have huge capital demands. They need to go public because they need the money. They're not going to be able to stay in business. Um, but when you're a software or a tech company, you know, you're doing this just because you want to expand rapidly around the world then that's when all of the loosey-goosey governance and inattention to policy and sloppy corporate culture, that's when it comes back to haunt you. That's exactly what's happening to Uber. And we should be thanking our lucky stars that Uber decided not to have an IPO because every investor in it these days, you'd be looking at a one big mess of red ink in your balance sheet. So it's a, um, it's a fascinating discussion. I really hope uh, there's a a significant study of this, and it raises questions that uh, we've explored here, and uh, we weren't able to get to the answer to, and we may not be able to get uh, to the answer on. Um, and we're going to have to digest the Holder Report, and we're going to have to go into the weeds on that as well. So, absolutely, uh, a lot here, Matt. I really enjoyed this. I've been wanting to do this with you for some time, and uh, it looks like we now uh, are moving towards another phase of Uber. We shall see. Well, as always, it was a pleasure, and I look forward to continuing the discussion. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate us, as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the only compliance podcast to take a deep dive into the weeds. Also, Matt and I would love to hear from you. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at Tom Fox, rather tfox at tfoxlaw.com. 
This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, and I hope you will join us again next week for another episode where we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance topic. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.